0: And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 275. I'm your host, Blaine Pudvang, and I'm joined now by a very special guest from Eyes on the Prize, pardon me, Hadi Kelakesh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited to have you here. I was, I've been watching a lot of your videos online. I've been reading a lot of your work from Eyes on the Prize, and I am a big fan of how you're covering our prospects.
1: That's good to know. I I put a lot of work, especially into the videos. They're a a two, three day thing at a time. So uh, that's great to hear for sure.
0: Yeah. That kind of, that kind of uh, effort has to be, it has to be applauded. I mean, to put in that level of effort, making it simplifying it so that old people like me can understand.
1: Yeah. um, It's the thing with scouting is, like a lot of people, sort of, it's almost a closeted community, like a like a closed off community, and a lot of it is just this this circular sort of um, exchange of information ab- among the people that really are are into that stuff and understand, you know, the intricacies of skating and all that good stuff, but. Um, I feel like Hapspans, especially, I think this is a great market to open up those doors and let the fans in and let them see sort of a glimpse into what the scouting process is like. I explained a lot of my scouting philosophies in the video. I think that's really important because it gets other people on and it grows a community. And the more people are into scouting, the better scouting becomes. Um, just because there's more there's more shoulders to the wheel, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, it's sh- more sharing of ideas, new ideas. 100%. So... Before we get into talking about the prospects, we can talk a little bit about the Canadians, being that it's a Montreal Canadians podcast. Yep. Now, today, as we record, it is the 7th of September, and Kirby Doc just signed a contract for $3.3625 million over four years. What mm-hmm. what do you see in Doc? And do you feel like that's a fair price?
1: Yeah, um, for me. Kirby Dock represents where the Habs are going, which is a very offensive-leaning team with a lot of access on possession. So the way Dock sees the game mostly is he's going to try to take possession of the puck Um, skated up ice, make a play, but he rarely dumps the puck. He rarely gives it away in, in, in situations where he creates 50, 50 battles or, or puts possession back on the other team. He's very smart. He's a great playmaker. The main thing that works against Doc right now and why he hasn't succeeded is his physical play is kind of subpar. Um, he's not the only, you know, six, three, six, four plus prospect who's built their game around skill rather than size. You see that a lot. And that's always a concern because you're sort of losing one of your prime assets as a player. Um, So he does have have a lot to learn, especially in terms of cutting opponents hands off when he's, when he's, uh, you know, battling against the boards, when he's going into those physical checks, how does he position himself and how does he use his body in order to come out with the puck? That's something he needs to work with. Um, Other than that though, I mean, his vision is tremendous. He finds passing lanes that, a lot of people's won't see, and that's something that the that Habs fans are really going to love about him. Um, he does remind me a bit of Kokinemi in that sense, in terms of a big player who's kind of lanky and doesn't use his size really well, but has tremendous vision and and passing. But he has the added bonus of having a tremendous tremendous motor and great balance, which Kokinemi was really missing. So I feel like if they they sit him in that second line, play him with the likes of Josh Anderson, Brandon Gallagher. Um, you know, players who are going to go and do the dirty work for him, they're going to put him in prime positions in order to make those seam passes and, and really look good in, in a Habs uniform.
0: Now, with Doc, I mean, he's coming off that uh, pretty serious wrist injury that it, pretty much everyone has seen from uh, his time at team with uh, Team Canada. Mm-hmm. How much of that do you think really played into his performance last year? And will there be any issues this year?
1: Well, it's always hard to say with those kinds of injuries because they're pretty serious, right? Like your, your wrist is one of the most important parts of your body when you're playing hockey, especially when you're handling the puck. I don't think it's going to affect his off-puck game very much. He has really good positioning as well uh, off the puck. I just think that um, as long as the right work has been put in in order to rehabilitate it fully, we're not going to see a concern. Um, but yeah, those injuries, you know, wrist injuries and Achilles injuries are the two things you don't really want to see. In a player, because your your ankle is really, really important as well when you 're skating, it affects your posture. We saw it with Eric Carlson he wasn 't the same player after his achilles injury at all, so you know there are specific areas in a player that you need to be careful of in terms of injuries, but I think the Habs did their homework here i 'd be surprised if they had taken him if they felt that the, that there was still an issue with his wrists. Um, we'll see once training camp starts. I'll, I'll keep a good close eye on his hands and, and see how that's affected. But I think, uh, I think we'll be good in that sense.
0: Now, I think a big reason why they also went for him, not just that they might've vetted him, uh, medically, but, mm-hmm. uh, it, his style of game does seem to fit with the plan moving forward and what Marty St. Louis can do. Absolutely. Now, the coaching he had last year was more of an old school approach. Mm-hmm. How much of a different, like it, without being in the room, mm-hmm. what do you feel is going to be the impact?
1: I mean, we're going to see a rejuvenated player. We're going to see a player who, the, the, like I mentioned, the, the main issue with, with Doc was his, his lack of physicality, his lack of involvement along the boards and a system like the Habs that won't, be as much of a prominent issue now that can be a good thing in a sense that it's going to it's going to accentuate the best parts of Doc's game but it can also be a detriment because he's not exploring the facet of his game that he needs to improve right so it's I think that having having him on a checking line a second line that's really sort of checking focus with a player like Anderson a player like Gallagher um, gives him more chances to explore that side of his game You know, the Habs, I don't think, really focus on dump and chase a lot since the coaching change. That's the main change I've noticed. So, you know, placing him on a checking line whose main focus is to um, fatigue the other team when they're on the ice, is going to help him. It's going to put him in situations where he's forced to explore that side of his game. And then you work on him with video, with coaching staff, on actually improving those facets when he's off of games, when he's in between games, you know on the ice for, for training at Broussard and stuff like that. And you might see some massive improvement. It might never become a strength of his, but if you just turn that into a baseline average part of his game, you have a more complete player who's going to have pucks more often and he's going to get a lot more puck touches because he's coming out of more battles with the puck. You know what I mean? So it's it's important for him to be placed in a situation where he's exploring that side. I don't think that, you know... Placing him with a player like Duran and Dadunov is going to really help his game because all he's going to have are just skillful players who keep the puck and he's not going to explore that side and it's never going to improve.
0: Yeah, and I like that you mentioned Gallagher because I feel like that would be a good fit together. Mm-hmm. He likes to make those plays through the seams and especially towards the net. And that's, that's Gallagher's bread and butter. 100%. Um, and you mentioned how he's trying to play off the other line mates. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he still needs someone to do a little bit of puck retrieval. And I think that's where Monahan's acquisition could really help Doc. Mm-hmm. Cause that's, that's right up his alley. Is there anyone else that you could see on his left side that might be able to help him?
1: Um, Paul Byron, a, a healthy Paul Byron would do wonders for, for Kirby Doc if we're playing him on a third line. um as a center, you know, pivoting him with Oh, Joel Armia would be perfect, I think, for Kirby Doc. That's a really, really good fit. A player who's excellent at protecting pucks, but getting them from the boards to the middle, and winning puck battles is pretty much exactly what Doc needs in order to succeed in his game. Um, so, placing him with players like that, if he's playing in the bottom half of the lineup, I wouldn't be worried at all about him.
0: Do you think he's gonna get he's gonna get uh, above forty points this season? And if he doesn't, is that a failure?
1: I don't think that's the thing. It's not a failure at all. This is a 21-year-old who still has a lot of runway to grow his game. Obviously, anyone can improve. You've seen 30-year-olds improve their games with the right development and coaching staff. But the, the younger you are, the more runway you have, right? And the more you can improve. So to me, it's not a failure if Doc puts 40 points. It all depends on where he plays. If he plays in the top half of the lineup, I think he's pretty much a lock to have 40 points this year. But if he's playing in the bottom half, it's going to be hard for him. Um, Another thing that I want to mention about Doc is his face-off plays is is really bad. It's something that he needs to work with. It kind of ties into the physical thing. Um, So he's not going to be, if he's placed in, for example, offensive zone start positions where they're putting him in the offensive zone to have time there well he's not going to win the faceoff, so the puck's going to be out anyway i think you know regardless most of the changes at the nhl level happen on the fly something like 70 75 percent of changes happen on the fly so those are the situations where i want to see doc where he doesn't have to worry about face-offs worst case scenario play him on the wing and have him revert to center tactics wise and play the center position as a tactic tactics player as the f3
0: as they say the the, the forward who's uh, you know closer to You know, but
1: placing him with Monahan, for example, on the line, having Monahan take the faceoffs, you know, who's really good at them and, and can excel in that situation in offensive zone starts would have Doc be put in a better situation. But again, exposure creates skill. So you want him to take face-offs at the end of the day.
0: Now continuing with the NHL level prospects, the Canadians have a ton of young guys coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all have our personal favorites. Mine happens to be Justin Barron. You know, maybe I'm a little biased because he's here in Halifax. (laughs) So I'll admit my bias a little bit, but I'm Mm -hmm. really excited to see how he's going to do. But is there one player that you're looking at coming in that you're excited to see?
1: Caden Gooley. There's no doubt in my mind. I, I want to see what... Uh, an NHL kid and can do because this was a player I wasn't high on in this draft year. I saw a lot of flaws in terms of, you know, he would dump the puck as soon as he'd get it. He would panic a lot. His panic threshold was really low. Um, But then as he matured in the WHL, it just really astounded me how much better he got. And last year watching him, I mean, you talk about a high panic threshold, he wouldn't make plays through pressure with no problem at all. And when he moved to Edmonton, he started exploring his offensive side. He started pinching more in the offensive zone, getting below the dots, making plays. And, you know, he might not make that a staple of his game at the NHL level, but if he can do it one, one every 10 times in the offensive zone, that's still better than nothing, you know? So I'm just really, really excited to see what this new and improved Caden Gooley can do at the NHL level. And I think he does stick in one way or the other in the NHL. I wouldn't be surprised at all.
0: Yeah, my expectation is more of uh, seeing a rotation on that left side with him and Harris kind of going in and out of the lineup. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of like one of those little internal battles. It should be fun to watch and see see how they develop and, and see who can steal that job.
1: There can even be a rotation on both sides. Jordan Harris has played the right side almost his whole NCAA career. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in a rotation with Barron and Weidman and um, even Norlander can play that side. So uh, that's another player we need to take into consideration that might be in this rotation. Even young, someone like Johnny Fairbrother could, could get a couple looks. Arbor Jackai got a couple looks, and I think he's deserved it. So you've got so many names, so many young names on that lineup that I'm almost sure that they're going to run a rotation. I think each player is going to see at least 30 games, something in that range, maybe less than that for the lower-end prospects. But um, Gulley probably going to be seeing 30 games um baron almost definitely going to be seeing 30 games norlander might see 30 um jack is one that i would like to see more in the nhl but honestly i wouldn't be against sort of placing him in the ahl to start and just seeing where he goes from there because i was really really it was just this big goon who likes to throw his body around throw some fists and that's it but man he can play he's got composure
0: yeah i'm really excited to see all of all of these guys kind of step up and see what they've got, but there's another name that I've noticed that a lot of people tend to forget about, and that's uh, that's Schooneman. I mean, he mm-hmm. he turned into one of St. Louis' favorites last year, and, and I still reason. think he's in the mix.
1: Oh yeah, he's definitely in the mix, and I love Schumacher's game. I think you talk about a puck-moving defenseman who excels at getting it out of his zone as soon as the opportunity arises. He's he's like he's anti-Ben right? Like Ben Chirot would get shelled in. And I mean, it's it's because of a, a great lack of composure. The, the opponents had the puck 80% of the time when he was on the ice, probably. So it's kind of the opposite for Schooneman where he drives play extremely well. He gets out of his zone, He finds exit lanes really well, either by passing or skating. And he's just got a great brain for the game. And I really like what he gives. I think his puck skills kind of limit him. He doesn't have the most solid shot And his playmaking arsenal isn't as wide as other players. You know, he doesn't do the whole saucer pass, backhand pass, uh, area pass, slip pass, all that, like that variety that you like to see in a high-end playmaker. But I mean, as a bottom pair defenseman, I have absolutely no problems against Schoonermann. He's doing, he's done a great job so far.
0: Absolutely. Now, moving from the defense, moving up front a little bit, just to get it out of the way, the first overall pick. I mean, slovkowski everyone, everyone wants to see him start in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And I know everyone's talking about the first nine games, but that, that makes, that's, there's no difference. He's burning yep. the year no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, so I expect him to start the season in Montreal. I, I expect him to get a couple of looks on that top line. Maybe, maybe even some power play time, but I don't think he's going to stay past mid-November. Is that is that something that you yeah. believe could be a possibility? Honestly, I wouldn't
1: be against placing him in the AHL for the whole year. Um And this is no knock on Slavkovsky. I think he's got superstar potential. I think he's got that high-end ability to to protect pucks. I don't think there's a better puck protector that I've seen in terms of prospects in recent years. So uh, there's a lot of things about his game that I like, but there's a couple things he needs to work on in terms of decision-making, in terms of scanning. His hockey IQ isn't the highest. So to me, you know, you you watch that player and you see the benefit of placing him in the AHL full-time. Obviously, he's going to get some looks because literally not a single... Um, first overall pick has ever um, gone to the A to the a- to the AHL for the whole since I think the '80s has not started the year in the NHL. So there's a lot of pressure on management. There's a lot of pressure on him to make the NHL because he'd be breaking a long streak. And I'm worried that the Habs might succumb to that pressure. But I think the best place for him is the AHL because of what it teaches you. It teaches you to make great decisions under under quick uh, puck touches. You know, your puck touches go from maybe three or four seconds on average per puck touch to maybe half a second on average. So you have a lot less time to make decisions, and that's going to help Sofkowski learn that part of his game and add that to his arsenal, which is his main lacking right now.
0: Now, if he were to play in the NHL, mm-hmm. what are the odds that he would be playing on a line with his childhood friend, Philip Meshar? Oh. Uh, I don't remember, has Has Meshar signed his entry-level
1: contract? I think he has, right? He has, yeah. Okay, but he's, uh, he's also um, CHL eligible. He, he was drafted in the import, so he might go there. I think that might be a better place for him to start. Um, the thing, I, I've put out a long video on Meshar. I really, really like his game. He's one of the smartest players that were available in this draft. And on top of that, he's one of the best skaters. So that combination is really lethal and I think would complement Sofkowski really, really well. But I think for Meshar's own development, it might be better to to place him in the CHL for a year just to see his adaptation to North American ice, his adaptation to um, quicker, more uh, more pressure play on smaller ice. And then you work up from there. Obviously, if the Habs feel different, they feel different. That's just my personal view on it. But I don't think he would be terrible in the AHL either. because. You know, it's not like Jan Meshak, who they place in the AHL because of COVID, and then he had a terrible season and affected his development, et cetera. Meshar has a lot of the things that Meshak doesn't. Um, The main example is tremendous agility and foot speed. I mean, this is a player who barrels down the ice. He's got amazing speed. And on top of that, he gets, like, the main issue for Meshar is he doesn't get to the inside a lot. And that's not something you learn in the AHL. That's something you learn in the CHL against weaker opponents and then apply to the AHL. So that's sort of my reasoning there.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me as well. Um, You saw it with Mesh, uh, with uh, Misak as well. Mm -hmm. His jump to the AHL, it changed his game. He was becoming more of a perimeter player than he actually was. And he was, he was perimeter player before, before he got there. And Mm -hmm. after a full season this year in Hamilton, he's turned into a player that will go to the front of the net. So it'll be interesting to see how he does uh, in Laval, Mm -hmm. especially if he's given a top six role. But I, I agree. I think. I think Meshar would do well in Kitchener. Um, he could be a trade a trade bait for them as well. He'd Go to a contending team, which would help as help his progression as well. Hundred percent. Now that that leads me to ML Heineman. It's going to be his introduction, as it were, to uh, the Canadians after bouncing around to you know every team in North America <laughs> through <laughs> trades and stuff. Pretty um, much it. Yeah. <laughs> So what should fans expect to see from him?
1: Heinemann, to me, he's an interesting case study. I think he's a player who, he spends a lot of time along the boards, and it's because he loves to engage physically so much. What that does is it takes him away from the middle of the ice, which is prime scoring um, ice. I think when his team has the puck, he does a great job of finding soft dice and moving off the puck and, and all that stuff. And he has a really good shot. I don't see a playmaker in him almost at all. And that's something that you usually either have it or you don't you either have that playmaking It's like scoring, you either have the instinct or you don't. And it's, it's not like it's just a skill thing. It's not that he doesn't try enough different types of passes. It's just, he doesn't have that, that instinct to play passes at the right times through the right lanes. So I don't think we can expect too much in terms of what Heinemann can bring at the, at the NHL level. I think at, at best, he's a third line winger. Um, there's a lot of lackings in his hockey sense as well, especially defensively. It was a big concern for me. Um, seeing him play more closely. I, I know he was touted as a sort of a, a defensive forward, but I don't see that really. I mean, the, 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 the IQ for me is is kind of, you know, I'm a big smart guy. I really like players who show a lot of intelligence. So I'm not the most tremendous fan of Haneman but I feel like he has a high enough floor that we're going to see him play an NHL game or two.
0: Now, speaking of players who are, are struggling a little bit, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go down to the NCAA here mm-hmm. and point out at Luke Tuck. Last oh year he had okay. a <laughs> difficult, difficult year. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was hurt at the start, but my God, it was just a it was just a bad year for him but new year, new him. He's the assistant captain at BU now. Um, What could you expect from him?
1: I was, I was talking with one of my buddies um, from the scouting community over drinks the other day. And he pointed out something that I was like, man, you're right. Uh, It's, it feels like East West just isn't an option for duck for him. It's all North South. He either barrels down the middle of the ice waiting for a pass for a breakaway or nothing. So He's got a lot of habit issues that really concern me. I had him ranked probably in the third or fourth round, um, in, when he was drafted in his draft year in, in the second round. So, for me, if Luke Tuck turns into an NHLer, it's a miracle. Like I'm gonna be perfectly, I, I feel like even just reaching that baseline. And the main concern with me is just his level of disengagement. I don't know if it's a product of his environment. If he's not happy where he is. Or, or whatever it is. But man, there, there were a lot of moments where he was just dragging his feet in circles and just not influencing play at a decent enough level for me to see a difference maker. So that's my take on Luke Tuck.
0: Yeah. Well, this year he might actually have a defenseman who can just get him going. And that's Lane Hudson. I mean, oh, yeah. this kid, this kid, oh my God, I'm watching him play at the, uh, at the USHL level. It, unreal. I can't believe he mm-hmm. dropped that far until I saw how tall he was.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> the I main concern, right? And you look at you look at smaller players, and you always, you know, for me, a big red flag is a player who was, let's say, average size up until he was 16, and then he hit a he, he stopped growing, and then everyone's kept growing. That's a red flag for me because he was average size and he played like an average size player for the longest time, and now he has a short period of time to adapt. But a player like Lane Hudson has been smaller than everyone his whole life. And that, plus the fact that he's been so successful, I mean, he had a historical year for the USHL. He's the highest point-per-game defenseman that, that ever played for the, the USNTP. NTDP. So um, when you see that and combine it with his size and the fact that he's been smaller his whole career, that just screams adaptive skills for me. And that means, basically, he's adapted to the fact that he's tiny, and has found ways to be successful despite it. That's really projectable. Adaptability is one of the the most underrated aspects of, of a player's game. I feel. And Lenny Hudson has a ton of that. He's got a ton of drive of determines of uh, determination of, of um, dedication to the game, dedication to his own improvement, confidence in himself. I mean, and on top of that, he's the most skillful and smartest player to come out of this, uh, smart, smartest defenseman to come out of this draft. So, the only reason he's dropped is that he's like 5'2 and 20 pounds that's really the only reason he dropped so far but he brought an endocrinologist test to the combine showing every team like hey i'm bound to grow like two inches and i should be able to put on weight so when i say drive and dedication to the game dedication to his own improvement and confident himself that's exactly what i mean i mean who does that it's man and just you know i put out a long youtube video on him too and and just watching the intricacies of his developing play of the way he played against the ncaa he played against um i don't remember if it was denver or colorado college something like that in one of the games that i tracked and that was his best game he completed 48 out of 50 passes in that game like just oh, outstanding geez. numbers and yeah no I'm, I'm extremely impressed with really 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 impressed with uh, with hudson Yep,
0: that that adaptability (laughs) that you're talking about that's kind of like what uh Cole Caulfield had to deal with when he was coming up too and I mean Habs fans have seen what he's been able to do thus far so I mean the hopes are up now what what do you think he can work on this year I mean he can't fix his height but what can he Mm. work on this year to uh to excel at his game when he's at Boston uh
1: matching footwork and pivots those are the two main things that I think he needs to to start working on. Um, he's not necessarily he's pre- he's he's pretty fast. He gets to a top speed that is pretty impressive. He gets there slowly though. That's an issue with footwork. Um, he has trouble matching his opponent's footwork when he's skating backwards and defending the rush. That's the main issue for him. He tends like any any player who is either rangy or fast enough will get around him really easily, and that's because he he has trouble with understanding the opponent's footwork and staying with him and sticking with him through it. Um, And his pivots are pretty slow. So when there's a dump in, he tends to get last on it. So he either positions himself really well and gets there first because of his positioning is an understanding of his surroundings, or he doesn't get there at all because once he's pivoting and skating backwards, it's it's either he gets there last or he has to engage in a puck battle, which is something you want to avoid when you're five, eight, 150 pounds. Right. So Those are the two main things I want Hudson to work on. And Adam Nicholas already has been working on that with him in development camp. I've seen clips of Adam Nicholas working on his outside edge utilization, on his backwards defending, um, his, his understanding of his edges, and keeping his head up through movement. And those, to me, are very projectable things that you need to learn to be an NHL defender, especially when you're small like that. So, I mean, kudos to Adam Nicholas. He knows what he's doing. So I'm not too worried about that.
0: Now the rookie camp's going to be starting up pretty soon. And that means the rookie tournament in Buffalo. Is there any players that you expect to be there that you're really looking forward to watching? I think
1: Slavkovsky is going to be present, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I'll i be very interested in seeing what Slavkovsky does at the, at the Buffalo tournament. Unfortunately, um, I won't be able to go, which is pretty unfortunate, but um Man, I've, I'm kind of drawing a blank on who else is going to be there in, in terms of Habs prospects. Uh, I mean, just shoot anybody, really. Hmm. Anybody? Um, I believe Mason McTavish might be going, right? He will be. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I would. Man, Mason McTavish. I was low on him in his draft here. I didn't see much from him when he was playing in Switzerland. But, man, I was proven wrong by that. I had him like 17th overall. He went third. I was like, what the hell's going on? Uh, and now I know. And it's it's sort of a learning curve, right? You sort of learn from your mistakes and um, and become a better scout out of overrating skating. And I've learned from that. You, you shouldn't do that. That's the no-no. Skating is probably one of the most fixable things, I feel. Especially these days with the amount of knowledge that's out there the amount of staff that are working on it. It's not just, you know, before it was just power skating, you know, put on some weights and, and do some strides. But now it's like, you know, let's work on your ankle flexion. Let's work on your knee bend. Let's work. You know, it's getting more and more intricate and a lot more fixable. So that was main mistake. And that's why I'm really excited to see Mason McTavish because he's a revamped and very, he's actually a tremendous skater now. So he's become a really good player.
0: He's able to stop pucks.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goal and clearances and all that. No, absolutely. Oh, yeah.
0: Um, no, I mean, with Adam Nicholas, I was really excited to see his hiring because you're talking about fixing skating deficiencies, and, and he's extremely adept at doing that. So seeing yep. the Canadians finally addressing that desperate need, mm-hmm. uh, I knew right then and there that this development plan. Would actually be put into place, unlike previous uh, general managers saying draft and develop. Yeah, and they drafted,
1: but... no development. the The whole the whole Sylvain Lefebvre era was just really horrible to to, to, to to participating as as a Habs fan. But man, like the Adam Nicholas, he's probably one of the smartest people in in player development. You know, he turned the Chicago Steel from one of the weaker programs in the USHL to one of the powerhouses in the USHL, not just by identifying talent with some limitations to their skating or their physical game, their inside play, but a lot of skill, a lot of creativity and working on them, but also just by knowing what to do with which with each player. Um, I remember Nick Moldenhauer, who was drafted, I think, by the Leafs. Um, Really impressive player. He got he got two really bad injuries in the same year and, and sort of flown under the radar this season. But he went into there one of the least inside-driven, least sort of skating-savvy prospects I've seen in a long while. And he's come out of there as one of the best skaters and one of the most inside-driven players I've seen. So just seeing that change and seeing how Adam, influence, uh, Adam Nicholas has been influential in that process in, in Chicago – I mean, if you can do even half of what he did in Chicago and Montreal, we're golden. I mean, this this is a this is a tremendous addition, and we're not even getting into Christopher Boucher. He was one of the pioneers of of analytics, and who had a great influence on who we drafted, including Lin Hudson. So, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, no, I was super excited when I watched that video that the Canadians had put out, and you mm-hmm. saw the the amount of weight they put on his input, uh, and, and it wasn't it wasn't just that. Oh, he's good at. Th- He's got good numbers here and there. He actually translated these numbers to something digestible for mm-hmm. even average persons like myself. Yeah, that's
1: inspirational for me because that's, a, that's pretty much exactly what I'm trying to do and who I'm trying to become. Um, but the, the scouting version rather than the analytics version, you know? So, I mean, watching Christopher Boucher in that video, first, the amount of respect that he garnered from scouts was already very telling but also there was a a specific point where he mentioned i'm paraphrasing here but he said something like if if picking slovkovsky means that we don't have to worry about size for the rest of the draft i'm okay with that and to me that's a tremendous philosophy you can concede one point if it gets you lane hudson down the road that's a tremendous trade off you know what i mean so yeah extremely impressed with with boucher and and really hopeful about what he can bring to the scouting team
0: Oh yeah. No, it's, it's not a Mike McCarran type of year. That's for sure. No,
1: not at all. It's, it's the anti Mike McCarran year.
0: <laughs> now with uh, back to Adam Nicholas though, you were talking about his work in Chicago and we didn't even touch on probably his, uh, his greatest masterpiece that came out of there. And that's Sean Farrell.
1: Are you talking about a uh, future top line player, Sean Farrell? Is that what we're talking about now? <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh my God. Uh, Wouldn't that be nice?
1: It would be nice. I don't think realistically, I don't think it's happening, but Ah, uh, man. He, the way he was talking about Sean Farrell alone got me so hopeful. I remember there was a, a quote circulating about something he had said about Sean Farrell, and he was really breaking down his play. He was saying, like, he has this gravitational pull. He pulls players in and creates space for his teammates really well. He can pass through seams really well. One thing I noticed, which he said, is he can pass through sticks like they're not even there. I mean, honestly, he, he can pass through three or four or five sticks easily to find crossing passes that to me is an invaluable asset and and something that's extremely rare so that's why i'm really hopeful about sean farrell on top of the fact that he improved his shot you know tenfold over his nc and over his, his uh time of the chicago Seal in his season in, in harvard i mean this is a player with a lot of promise and i'd be very very excited to see what he could do at the nhl level
0: yeah i I'm concerned that people want him to make the jump a little bit too soon. I mean, I know yeah. uh the conference at Harvard's in is not very strong. <clears throat> and despite his great numbers in the Olympics and the world championships, still think he needs a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe th- maybe the full four.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be against that at all. The only concern that obviously is then do you lose him? And I don't want the Habs to lose a player that, that intelligent, oh. that skilled, you know, but I mean, he's pretty much everything I look for in a prospect, especially a forward. I mean, the, the, the the understanding of his surroundings, the gravitational pull, the, the, just, he just plays hockey. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's invaluable. And I, I, I would love to see him develop to the full extent. I think one more year will be good enough. If he tears it up, then, you know, if he's ready, he's ready. That's my mindset with prospects now. If they're ready, they're ready. You don't ask yourself more questions than that. You don't place them in a situation where they're, you know, wasting a development year, or playing against a level that they've already mastered you know it's like it's like you're playing nhl and you're 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 stuck on rookie and you know obviously it's your first time playing so you kind of suck but then after 50 60 games of that you're actually way too good for rookie and you're winning every game 13 nothing You're not learning anything you know you just got to up the difficulty and if if they're ready for the next jump they're ready for the next jump and you take that asap you know what i mean absolutely
0: and on the jump uh we've got a I'm going to jump over to the other side of the pond. And we were talking about this before the, before we started recording. Mm-hmm. And this is a player that, I mean, I didn't know very much about, but when I saw that he got drafted, I had to look him up a little bit. I've got to be honest. And I was intrigued. But then you mentioned before getting on the air, what you thought of this player. And that's a uh, Adam Engstrom. Mm-hmm. Tell, can you, can you repeat basically what you told <laughs> me beforehand? Because I mean, after hearing that, I was inspired.
1: Yeah, well, I'll start with this point total. So uh, he played his first game of the season for Rugla in the uh, in the J twenty league um, in Sweden. In Sweden, and he put up four points in his first game. So he's off to a great start. Uh, what I like about Engstrom is he's a great puck carrier. He's really intelligent. He defends the rush really well. And really sort of understand his surroundings really properly. I think he he's not the type of player to throw his weight around, even though he's 6'2 and 180-something pounds. But, I mean, he, he leads with a stick and he keeps his head on a swivel. I don't think I've seen a player scan more than Adam Engstrom. I mean, he he checks his shoulders three, four, five times before he's he's even retrieved a puck so that he already knows what his next play is. A lot of small details like that are really promising to me. He reminds me of Brett Kulak in a way. And we all know how good and underrated Brett Kulak was. He might be stuck in the same sort of role where he's playing fourth to sixth defenseman minutes, but deserves more. And honestly, if you can get that kind of player in the third round, you're golden. That's more than good enough.
0: And for anyone who's been who's stuck through uh, uh listening to me talk through this show, I've I've noticed this, and maybe you have as well, the type of player that Hughes and Gorton have been going after in trades, in drafts, i just basically everything they've done in their very short amount of time, we see a massive departure from the nineteen nineties version of ice hockey with a big guy and a medium guy and a lot of other big guys to more Mm skill-based absolutely which i find exciting um Mm -hmm. i mean i i grew up watching 80s and 90s hockey and i loved it i still love roughhouse hockey uh but i like watching skill watching these plays like the, the michigan I would probably cross check the guy in the teeth, (laughs) but if I'm not if I'm not playing, I like watching it.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you can understand why why you know what happened in Anaheim happened when they were playing as I think Arizona and like the whole team got into a fight because Zegers kept doing Michigans and between the legs plays. Like, I mean, the games the games changing, and I think it's it's drawing in a lot more fans. I mean, you had Michael B. Jordan. reposting zegras's michigan goal on on instagram i mean that's growth you're growing the game right there and you know you got to look at the bigger picture when it comes to that like obviously your ego takes a hit when there's a michigan scored against you especially if you're a goalie or a defenseman and you're like seeing that right in front of you there's nothing you can do right but when michael b jordan's reposting hockey you take the win it's a win for hockey and grows the game and gets more people interested in watching and it just makes the sport more exciting
0: Percent, yeah. but again, as long as I'm not playing, exactly. scored on like that, yep. I'm good with it. I mean, Absolutely. even the game uh, Zegers played against the Canadians last season, he mm. made that attempt. He scored and, on it. Yeah, and <laughs> I was angry, but at the same time, like, man, that was nice.
1: Yep. That's the thing. I, I don't understand how Trevor egress slipped like he did in this draft. I mean, he was one of the most—he's the most inventive and creative player from the 2019 draft, which was stacked. I mean, we're talking, you know, Jack Hughes, kako um, you know, Kirby Doc, obviously Cole Caulfield. Like, for me, egress was the the most creative and inventive player from that draft, and you don't you don't teach that level. I mean, it's almost cocky. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it's, yeah. It's that level and I, I just love that about him. It works for him. It doesn't work for everyone, but it works for him.
0: But I've been watch I, I I coach younger kids in hockey camps and through the season and I notice that this is the stuff that they're all doing. Mm-hmm. For them, it's normal now to try these these unreal moves, the uh, the the Michigan or the flip over the net baseball shot. <laughs> I mean, all this stuff, they practice over and it, over. It. Mm-hmm. It's I'm really inspired by the kids that are coming out and trying all these different things mm-hmm. because that just shows that the game's in good hands. Yep. I think it does
1: two things, right? The first thing it does is it creates, it, it, it's, it promotes growth in a um, small puck motor skills. So the intricacy with the puck, I mean, to do the Michigan, we need a whole lot of understanding of puck weight of your stick. It takes a lot of intricacy and developing that intricacy is an extremely useful tool, even when you're not doing the Michigan, like just understanding the weight of the puck helps you saucer the puck. It helps you thread passes, helps you, you know, take better shots, all that stuff. So it's already sort of honing that tool. And on top of that, it unlocks players' brains. It makes them more creative, it makes them more inventive and more willing to try other things I mean, it's one thing to see something and emulate it and repeat it until you got it. But doing that will make you more curious about the game and where you can take it. You know what I mean? And that, to me, is extremely promising because all I want is more growth in the NHL. I think that's something we need. It's a sport that's sort of set in its ways and is slowly but surely heading in a better direction, in my opinion.
0: Now, I'd like the modernization of the game i do enjoy this this shift that we're seeing but i'm still a traditionalist as well Mm -hmm. in many ways and before i let you go i want to get your take on this ads on jerseys i think it's trash i hate it it takes away from the jersey but what do you feel about them yeah there's
1: that's the thing is that i understand the sanctity of the jersey right? It's, it's a, it's a tradition in hockey that we're one of the only sports that survived the ads, you know, it's sort of a resilience thing, it's sort of a, um, it's a culture thing, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you, the more sponsors you get, the more people watch your game, it's just inevitable. Like that's the, that's the reality of capitalism, right? Like the more brands are involved, the more ads you get, the more your, your brands are going to promote your game because their, their brand is on your Jersey. You know what I mean? So is it a sacrifice I'm willing to make personally? No, I don't. I like jerseys as they are. And I think that keeping brands away from my favorite sport is pretty much my whole motto. But um, at the same time, do you grow the game or not? And like, if that's, it's a hard question. I'm really sort of, I'm kind of torn on it, but I'm more leaning on the side of, you know, keep the jerseys clean and pretty. You know what I mean? So yeah.
0: That's, that's, that's how I feel about it too. And I, I, there's, Maybe we can just pay a little bit more. <laughs> I don't know. Although, my God, how much more can we pay? Pay? <laughs> oh, yeah. For those damn tickets. I mean, I had to take out a loan the last time I went to a game.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's terrible. I use game time now. Basically, they, <laughs> they, they drop sort of discount prices on tickets the day of. So yeah. I've gotten like seats in the 100s for like $80 a pop which really isn't bad, you know? Like you're sitting in the first row and, and watching the game from up close and it's like a hundred bucks tops.
0: Or you can just wait until... Uh, Expensive, but you know. Yeah.
1: Or you can wait until
0: a couple of minutes after the game starts and then just hit up the scalper and say, look, I'll pay a half.
1: <laughs> just slide the bouncer at <laughs> 20, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just, hey, what's that over there? <laughs> and just run. And
1: just sneak right in. Yeah. 100%.
0: Now, before I let you go, is there any final ideas, thoughts that maybe we didn't cover that you, you might want to mention?
1: Uh, Joshua, wow. I think it's surprising we've gone so far without talking about him. Um, I really like this prospect. I think he's sort of being pegged into this, like, oh, he's going to be a top switch player just because he had like a 100 point plus season in the queue. But I mean, there's a lot of levels to his game that he needs to add. I think his physicality is really good. His shot is tremendous. He just tries, he kind of throws everything at the wall and sees what sticks when it comes to playmaking. And I just kind of want to see more control, more more reservedness when it comes to his playmaking, just to see him sort of identify the right pass and, and, and try it, rather than just throwing everything at the front of the net and seeing what happens. Um, But I think he's going to play in the queue again, and that's good because there's a probably the best queue prospect for the, for this upcoming year's draft, Ethan Gauthier. He's on the Sherbrooke Phoenix. So seeing him with Joshua I'm I'm very 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 interested in seeing that. So that's my take on the raw. And to finish up, you guys can find me on Twitter and YouTube. Um, just look up my name; it's it's right there. It's gonna be really easy to find. So go right ahead.
0: <laughs> Hadi, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I, I I know that I promised my 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 co-host would be here, but uh, they unfortunately they they bailed. I don't know what's going on with them. They're so. Immature and unreliable. <laughs> oh,
1: I'm so sorry about that. It was great being here, man. I'm just, I'm just glad you had me on.
0: My, it's absolutely my pleasure. And for my listeners, if, uh, if if you don't follow him, it's a massive failure on our parts. Because, <laughs> like I said, your work has been very good. I've been very intrigued by everything you've done. So, everyone, give him a follow. And remember, if you're talking about it, so are we.